I think that it's a slam dunk for whatever team that picks him up. I just don't feel like getting into the Troy Tulowitzki business right now is, is profitable. There were Blue Jays hats everywhere. It, it was awesome. My brain is a little bit better than it might appear to you, Nick. Welcome to a very special and I would say, I guess, surprise episode of uh, Digging In with JPR and Sevia. This is our winter meeting special. I'm here in Las Vegas looking out from my hotel room at the, let's say, beautiful Las Vegas Strip. I don't know if it's for me, but it is 18 degrees and sunny, which beats uh, Toronto at this time of year, that's for sure. And with me, as always, is JP and Sevia. And JP, it's been, I don't know, just over two months, two months and two weeks since we last hooked up for a podcast. What has gone on for the people to know in between that time? Well, I just finished my fall semester, and uh, I am happy to announce that I got two A's and a B, so all the kids continue to stay in school and get good grades. I feel very proud of myself. Um, I just got back from Toronto. I was there for a Rogers event uh, for their employees at the old uh, Rogers Center, so I was there uh, this weekend, and it was insanely cold, and I was insanely uh, not happy about having to walk outside. It was so cold. So I'm sure that you're happy to be in Vegas. I'm actually coming to you live from MIA, Miami, Florida. So it is actually really warm here. So I apologize to all you guys north of the border, but it is, this is a beautiful weather down here and I am not jealous about the cold that's up there. So our guest today is new Blue Jays manager, Charlie Montoyo which I think is a good one for some fans. There's been a couple of press conferences, but you know, I hope that people get to see a little bit about what Charlie Monto is about as a guy because I think he's been a little bit held back in those press conferences. We've seen him on TV a bit. I think that you know, you know Charlie from your time in the Rays organization. We can open him up a little bit and uh, hopefully show you guys what makes uh, Charlie special? Yeah, he is a special person, and um, he is a guy who uh, is is very, very well respected and loved by his players. I think everywhere he everywhere he went, not I think I, everywhere that he went, I know that the players loved him. And having played in Tampa's organization for two seasons, I mean, he was one of the guys that people just wanted to see every single day. They they literally would tackle this guy with hugs. I mean. He is very beloved by his players. He he was successful with the Durham Bulls in winning, uh, you know, national championship, AAA national championships, and league championships, and was always very successful there with his players. Um, and I got to play for him, and I loved him. He was the same guy every single day. Super positive, super super, just a great demeanor about him. And so I'm excited uh, that the Blue Jays were able to to take this leap and and be able to trust. Uh, Charlie to be able to be the manager of the Blue Jays. And I, when I caught this assignment to go to Las Vegas to go to winter meetings, obviously don't turn down an assignment to go to Las Vegas for a few reasons, the weather being one. But I did have some concerns that, you know, we would come down here and then nothing would happen. Well, from a Blue Jays perspective, at least, and maybe, you know, podcasts take a while to turn around. Maybe even more will happen by the time you hear this. But what's happened now is that the Toronto Blue Jays have parted ways with Troy Tulowitzki, which for me, I describe this as a surprise but not a shock. I understand why they did it, but it's rare that you see a guy with 
$38 million left on his contract just kind of unceremoniously cut like this. So what was your reaction, JP, when this news went down? Well, for me, for me, honestly, there was one comment that Tulo said, um, I think it was towards the end of the season, that he said, if somebody can play shortstop better than me, I'll pack up my stuff and go home. And, you know, that that showed me right there that it was a, a closed-minded thought. And Tulo's a phenomenal guy. Tulo's loved by everybody. But what to me that tells me is if I'm a general manager, I'm going, uh, well, my plans are probably to have Guriel as my shortstop. And uh, that is not going to be a good thing because if I have somebody who is saying that they're going to be an everyday guy or they're going to go home, you do not need that that uh, kind of energy and, and that, that feeling throughout the clubhouse because, I mean, I think he already explained where he's at. So I think that was one thing for me that I saw when I saw that he had said that I thought, okay, maybe this is going to be uh, something that they're going to have to part ways with him. That was my first thing when I saw that. I also have to tip my hat because I did read a statement from Paul Cohen, his his uh, agent, talking about uh, Mark Shapiro and how every time that he's ever dealt with him, he's been a phenomenal um, professional. And they didn't see him having any kind of role, everyday role on the team. And so they, they were able to get rid of him and give him opportunity to go somewhere else. I mean, I think... Yeah, it's kind of stuff. It's tough to say. Like, well, who cares if he's happy or not? He has to. We're pay, we're paying him thirty eight million dollars. But I mean, at the end of the day, I think that it's a good move on both parties. You give Troy Tulowitzki a chance to go to some other team that's going to give him a chance to play, and uh, and give him an opportunity to play the way he wants to play. And you don't have that that issue of man, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I mean, he's not going to play. Is he going to be a, cl- a cancer in the clubhouse? All these different things. Is he going to be a, a veteran? I don't. He's not ready to take that veteran role of of just being a, a team guy. And so I think it's better to not have him. Yeah, that role for him with the Blue Jays, if he had stayed, would have been very bizarre because he doesn't have much flexibility. He's a guy who's played shortstop. Like you said before, he's kind of he's rarely espoused any interest in playing another position, although it should be noted that on Tuesday his agent said he might be willing to play some second base, which is interesting that now he's willing to do that now that he's been cut. I guess I think they know, right? They know that he's a tough sell as just someone starting shortstop. This guy's 34 for a shortstop. That is very old. That's the reality of it. He's got a really lengthy injury history, even before the recent stuff, but he hasn't played since the middle of 2017. So teams aren't going to line up to have him start at shortstop for them. So I guess the agent's putting out there, oh, he could play a little second base too, trying to make it seem like he's got this flexibility. But if I'm another team, I just don't see the appeal of Troy Tulowitzki right now. This is a guy with so much physical maintenance that has to go into keeping him healthy, and who knows if that even works. Uh, he's really only his experience at one position that what he said about going home. If he's not the best shortstop, I know his mindset will have changed now, but that those kind of statements don't make me feel great about his mindset in a limited role. I just feel like there's, if I'm another team, there's just gotta be a better or for lack of a better term, there's gotta be an easier option out there somewhere. See, this is where I'm going to very kindly disagree with you. And I think that he is actually going to be a very attractive piece to teams because uh, he's a guy that, A, you're going to have to pay him the league minimum. He's 
the the Blue Jays are on the hook for the rest of his contract. So if a team signs him right now, they all they have to do is pay the major league minimum to to Tulowitzki, and the Blue Jays have to pick up the rest of his contract. So that's one. I think that's very attractive. Two, Tulowitzki, when he's healthy, when he's healthy, is one of the best, the best shortstops in all of baseball. He's produced at the highest level, and he is an un. I mean, he's an insane talent. Like the guy is unbelievable. So, as a team, I'm on the opposite dot process of you. I'm going. I'm picking this guy up because if he happens to come and be the Tulowitzki of old, we just hit the jackpot because we're paying the guy half a million dollars. Now, it has to do with what kind of team you have because if you have a young team where the shortstop is a young guy and you don't want to take away from his playing time, might not work. But if you're a team that's trying to piece together some stuff, you don't know who's going to be your shortstop or you want to see maybe you're trying to go for it and all of a sudden this guy can be something for you, He's he's an attractive piece. Uh, I think an American League team could take him, and he could do some. He can play some DH. He can he can DH and take some at bats and not have to worry about his body. But I think I think it's for any team. It is a zero risk, other than like you said, you know, and we talked about him having the wanting the player say he's going to go home. I think that he's a zero risk guy with a lot of upside. The risk isn't there from, a, like you said, from a financial standpoint, it's not. They would only have to pay him the minimum. But it, it's an opportunity cost issue for me. Like every bat you give to Tulo is an bat you could be giving to someone else. So if you're a young team, like you said, young team coming up, I don't want to give it bats to Tulo because I want to give it to a younger guy who maybe develops, maybe doesn't, but I want to see. And I think that's where the Blue Jays are a little bit with Gurriel. Well, but here's here's the thing. I want to uh, stop you on that sense real quick is if – He's a team that at 34, whatever, however it works, I pick him up for a little bit of money. He has a good year. Do you know what happens? You, In theory, you trade him. I just think that's so yeah. unlikely that he has a good year. Like everything you said ah. about – everything you said, I would agree with, but I would replace the word is with was. He was all of these things. But the chances of him being that again – for me, is so even when he played in 2017, which is now we're talking two years and a huge injury ago, he wasn't good then. Like the last time he was good was 2016, when he was a lot younger and hadn't gone through a lot of injuries. I just I don't see all of the things that have happened since then. Now he's going to be a good player again. It just seems it seems so yeah, but the, so the unlikely risk, to the me. Risk, yeah, but the risk you're not really risking much, and all of a sudden you have a Tulo. Let's say he comes back because I did read that he also says that he's the healthiest, which of course he's going to say that. Right? Everyone say, says like, that. Everyone yeah, is the I'm, best I'm, shape I'm, I've ever been. I'm sure yeah, every offseason you told people you're in the best shape you've ever been. Well, right now I'm in the best shape I've ever been, but that's a true statement. But here, here's the thing is, is that at the end of the day, everyone says that. But okay, let's say let's say that there's a little truth to it. I, I have zero. There's no risk. This is, this is a, a slam dunk in the sense of risk because I, I bring him to camp. However it is, let's say I sign him to a deal, I bring him to camp, I release him. That's not you're not you don't you're not on the hook for anything. But let's say this guy comes into camp, man, Tulo looks good. He's healthy. Holy smokes. All right, now he starts playing, he puts up numbers. Trade deadline. I will make a big big splash because of this guy that I picked up who was supposedly washed up. And all of a sudden was able to bring me some things. You never know. I think that it can happen. I'm I'm a lot more positive than you. We know this on our show. But at the end of the day, I have to decline 
your sentiment, and and I'm agreeing with myself, of course, and I think that it's a slam dunk for whatever team that picks him up because there's zero risk. It Listen, obviously you see what people zero think. Zero reward, though. Yeah, no, there is reward. Of course there's reward. How, how What happens if you get a trade at the – if he does well and you get – prospects at the deadline is that a zero reward no it's not it's just like for me that's a 0.0000001% chance of happening so i'd rather just not invest the time and effort in doing all of this and go along with my own business than get like i just don't feel like getting into the troy tulowitzki business right now is is profitable i know like the scenario you've painted would conceivably be good i just think that it's so far-fetched that i if i'm okay, an MLB here, team, i okay. wouldn't bother Okay, so but if you say zero 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 point one, does that so you're saying there's a chance, right? <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance, and again, there is an opportunity. My point is there is an opportunity, even if even at your minuscule percentage, there is a chance that he does something well. And if he does, and you and you bring back a prospect, or even you you have him, and all of a sudden he's a big part of the success of the team, then that means that there is reward, and you said that there's no reward. So I'm telling you there could be a reward. Okay, I think a good spot to wrap it is me agreeing with you that there is, in the most literal sense, a chance. So for Troy Tulowitzki, there is lit- literally a chance. But again, for me, if I'm a team, I am not bothering. We're going to leave so it there. We're going to leave it there. We got to talk to Charlie. As Dumb and Dumber would say, so you're saying there's a chance. Uh, Oh, God. All right. All right. We're going to talk to Charlie Montoyo now, someone who's going to be a big part of the future of Blue Jays and a guy, like I said before, I feel like a lot of the fans at home don't know it very well. Hopefully by the end of this interview, you guys know him a little bit better. All right. Well, we're joined here with Charlie Montoyo, and uh, I've got to spend some time with him for one season. Uh, everywhere you go, this guy, every player loves him, respects him, and uh, is a very, very special human being. But my first question to you, Charlie, is are you exhausted when you get back to the, your bed at night? Can you even say another word or are you, is your brain spinning? Like, how has this been so far for you right now, uh, you know, to be able to nonstop talking the entire day? Yeah, no, honestly, I'm enjoying it very much. But yes, by the time the, the day is over, I'm exhausted. So, yeah, but I, I don't take it for granted. It's great. I'm, I'm enjoying every minute of it. The uh, I was I was listening to uh, Eduardo Rodriguez talk and, and something that I've talked about here um, is – one of the most special things uh, is to be able to have a bilingual manager. And Eduardo Re- Rodriguez talked about with Cora how important it was for him to be able to make sure uh, that he can say exactly what he wanted to say because in Spanish he felt more comfortable. Sometimes in English he, he wouldn't know how to explain it. How important is that for you as a manager? How, how big is it, is it for you? And, and how Because what I try to explain here too is Latin's – you you feel more comfortable, you know, with with a Latin, with a Latin person. It's just the way it works, and obviously, you're the best of both worlds. Uh, talk about that. Yeah, I think it helps a lot, and because I because I, I know the feeling. You know, when I first came to the states, uh, I spoke no English, so so I know what it's like. So if you find somebody who speaks Spanish, you're more comfortable, and 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 we get a lot of Spanish guys, and and yeah, they're gonna feel a lot more comfortable. That's just a fact. Yeah. And and, and for for example. It, 
when able when 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 able to talk to guys because you you know like for your for your own experience so that people can understand as a player how much more comfortable do you feel with with a person with a person like that that you know that you can go to at any point that understands the difficulties because i i even mentioned on this podcast sometimes you're in the clubhouse most of the time where all the tvs are in english everything else is in english and you you know you kind of it doesn't feel you feel always like you're not at home uh now they have a little bit of home cooking as well how did you know explain that experience for you as a player and now as a manager yeah i mean i mean after i learned the language it was easy for me but for our guys like a kid like black Guerrero and stuff you know they're, they're trying to learn english right now i know he's going to feel really comfortable just coming to my office and and asking me whatever question he has and and you know and, and that's 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 the advantage I got uh, by speaking Spanish, and you know, even even if they speak good English, they're gonna feel comfortable speaking Spanish to me. So yeah, that's gonna help a lot. Yeah, Charlie, having sat in on both your press conferences so far, your introductory one, and then this one at winter meetings as well, one thing that I kind of find pretty funny and I, is just the density of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. questions. Like it seems like every <laughs> second or third question is about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Is the kind of Vladdy mania what you expected it to be? How has that been for you so far? Just kind of being bombarded about like every little thing for Vladdy. Cause it's, if you think it's big now, it's, you know, it's only getting bigger. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I knew they were coming. They were, they were going to come questions about him and, and, and rightly so. These guys are the best prospect in the mountain leagues and, and, we are looking forward to see him playing in the big leagues. Uh, I was talking to Charlie Duncan, who's home in the fall league. And he said, dude, that's the best minor league prospect I've ever seen. So, you know, that's a big compliment. So, yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to see this kid play every day. One thing that's come up uh, when you've spoken so far a couple times I thought was interesting is you've referenced uh, your small hometown in Puerto Rico and their level of excitement for you when you were hired. And, you know, just after, as you said, Alex Cora was the winning manager in the World Series. What do you think is going to happen in that town this year? Like, are we going to see Blue Jays flags all over the place? Are people going to be sitting in bars watching Blue Jays games who never would have done it before? Like, to what extent are you going to have the ability to convert a town into a Blue Jays town? They already did. When I went there just now, there, there were flags everywhere. There were uh, Blue Jays hats everywhere. It, it was awesome. It, it, was, it was such a great time. And, and you know, uh, it was, we had a parade. You know, I was going around town and everybody was waving with, with Blue Jays hats and, and, and Blue Jays shirts. It, it was awesome. <laughs> okay, well, you're going to have to give me a little bit more detail when you say parade because paint yeah, me a it, word picture. What does a Blue Jays parade look like in Puerto Rico? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm in a truck, you know, and, and, and I'm waving to people. Everybody's coming out of their houses and, and waving to me. It's a small town, so it didn't take that long. <laughs> but it, yeah, but it, but it was awesome. It was it was a great time. Pe- people are really proud uh, of me there, and and yeah, and I don't take that for granted. It, it was it was awesome. Speaking about proud uh, of you, Charlie. There's a lot of people that have been around. Um, obviously, you know what you were able to do in Durham, uh, even from the front office. As soon as you got the job, the, the the players spoke about you. Their front office, all the people involved in Durham. Obviously, the people that have been around you with you in Tampa. Um, you have this really, really unbelievable ability to be loved by everybody, but also respected, which I think is a fine line because you have to be able to get on people when you need to, but also you need to be able to have that clubhouse. What do you think uh, that you have that makes it special? Or, Or what do you try to do that allows that to happen? I don't know. I don't know how to explain that. You know, I just respect people, you know, and, and, 
you know, I want the best for, for players. I want I want them to do good. I, I want them to have a good season. You know, I'm just pulling for them, and I think they see that in me. You know, that's you know, I'm a guy who wants to win games, but I, but I want the best for my guys. You know, yeah. Well, and and it, obviously for me, uh, I got to experience that and I understood it, and I was able to explain it a little bit further in this podcast also. And and another thing is is you know, you, you, the way you came up, you came up a long time ago as a player. And then, you know, you came up through this organization that's very analytical. And now you get to this day and age, you got to see you guys did the opener. You guys did a, do, a lot of different moves in Tampa. That's really where I learned about analytics. Now, you know, how do you, what are your thoughts on now being able to mesh those together? I mean, you've been able to learn, and this is again, more for fans to understand about who Charlie Montoyo is, is how do you approach that now as, as the manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, no, I mean I love the information, and, and that helps. It helps. I, I was there with the Rays, uh, as you know, for a long time, and and it helps a lot. So I call myself a blend between old school and analytics. So yeah, I mean I, I'm going to use that information, but I'm also going to use my gap feeling because of my experience managing games. So yeah, yeah. Charlie, I wanted to touch on your way with players again because that's something that people seem to talk about again and again. And at winter meetings here. Kevin Cash had a quote about it. I'm just going to read it to you and tell me what it means to you and and uh, how that makes you feel. Because Ke- Kevin said this, throughout the last four years, every single time we'd go to an opposing city, a former player of Charlie's will come by, whether they're a fan or they're working for another team, and they will embrace Charlie. And I think he meant that quite literally in sort of a hug sense. What did that, does that mean to you when you're traveling and you see the people whose lives you've affected? Yeah, it, it means a lot to me. And, and, and yeah, and we saw, you know, you know, you know what it meant, meant to be when Kevin Cash uh, called me uh, five minutes before I did the interview with the, with the Blue Jays. You know, he said, just be yourself. You know, just you, you're going you're gonna to get this job. And I said, he, he was so nice that I said, Kevin, you don't want me anymore? <laughs> I love you, buddy. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> But yeah, he did, and and I appreciate that. Yeah, I was very lucky to be with Kevin Cash the last four years. Yeah, Charlie, I never got to see you come out of the dugout uh, as a manager because I was with you only when you were running the third base, and I've and I've tried to inform the people that you have you still had one of my favorite jogs of all time. You got a little salsa going out there to third base. Um, so that's part of my question. But the other thing is is as a manager, are you a guy that is, you know, play controversial play that you're going to be storming out of the dugout and, and with a with a hard jog or are you a walk kind of guy? That's the one thing I never got to see because I always saw the happy the happy Charlie, but obviously there's going to be times where now you have to go out there and, and set it off. So what, do we can, what, what can the fans look forward to? Well, it's going to depend on how my knees feel that day. So I'm going to go... <laughs> Okay, so Charlie, one thing that, uh, you know, the previous manager, Blue Jays fans were used to uh, was seeing that, you know, that ejection. There was a few years when Gibby led the league in getting uh, tossed from games. I think he had seven last year. If you had to put a guess on it right now, 162 games, how many of them are Charlie Montoyo getting tossed from this season? You know, the one team, because again, being in the minor for so long and, and knowing the umpires, you know, they all came up with me. And even when I played, you know, there's a lot of guys that are in the big leagues right now still is still being umpires. So it's I, I don't see myself getting thrown out that many times. But if I have to defend a player, I will get thrown out. That that's that's for sure. But I'm gonna say once or twice. I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, this is this is the last one, and, and you, you and know, we, you know, we, Kevin, Kevin catches get thrown out one time last year. Every time he argues, okay, you okay, don't say anything. That, that's good. That, yeah, you, you got you made your point. All right, so yeah. So I feel so like you can doing yeah, you can outdo him. You can more, do two. Maybe one more. Maybe one more. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, listen, Charlie, this is the last one. We thank you for having on. But my biggest thing is every every manager that I've played for has his certain thing that he likes to say, like, hey, just show up on time and play hard. Or, you know, this is the one thing that I want from you and I'll never ask you for anything else. Uh, for the upcoming, you know, obviously spring training's around the corner. What is that one message that you want to be able to, uh, to portray to the team, to tell them, this is what I expect from you, and this is, you guys do this, we're going to be in a good position. Yeah, just just play the game the right way. That's all I ask. It's, it is a tough game, as you guys know, so just play the game the right way. You know, run the ball hard, and, and, and we'll be, we're going to be okay. We, we, we got good players, and if we play the game the right way, we're going to win many games. All Perfect. right, Charlie. Thanks for coming on. We know it has been a really hectic, hectic week for you. And uh, we appreciate you taking a few minutes with us. Thank you for having me, guys. Te quiero. Igual. Gracias. Bye. <laughs> bye. Bien. Bye-bye. In this special edition of Digging with JP and Sibia, we still have to stick to, you know, some of the old format that people have come to know and love. And that means memory lane, JP telling stories that relate to what's going on right now. And winter meetings is interesting for me from a player perspective because it's such a media hub and it's such an executive hub and it makes it seem like it's crazy important. But at the same time, not a lot could necessarily happen. So I want to ask you, is, do players really tune in and care about the winter meetings, especially if they're not a free agent, if they're already sitting on a team. And then I know that you, later in your career in 2015, you signed pretty much right after the winter meeting. So I wanted to know if that was a little bit tense to have that come and go and not have a contract in hand, or maybe you negotiated through that time. How did that go for you? Well, I think at the end of the day, you know, when it comes to players following uh, winter meetings, it has to do with the kind of personality some guys want no part of it. Some guys follow everything, and uh, it depends again what kind of you know kind of person that, per, that that player is. For myself, when I was established and I knew that I really wasn't nothing was going to happen to me, I, I was under team control. I really didn't pay a ton of attention. I mean, honestly, the only updates that that I got was uh, oh, you know, maybe possibly a trade or hey, possibly. Uh, this could happen. And that was text messages from friends and family and stuff like that, that they followed it. But on the flip side, when I went into the off season and I had no idea what was going on, man, I followed those things big time. And I was watching to see what catcher was signing where and what were the rumors, uh, what was happening, what teams, you know, I, I knew usually in the off season, you know, your agent will tell you, okay, Hey, these seven teams are interested in you. And, and these, so then, I, you know, right away I'm following those teams. Okay, hey, what what team? Oh, this guy just signed a catcher. All right, well, then that team's kind of probably out for me. And so I, you follow closely. And then with the deal that I got in 2015, I'm pretty sure that was with the Orioles. So I signed with the Orioles. Uh, and for me, one of the biggest things was 
we had already discussed that earlier. So like you said, there's, there's a lot of deals that are already in place and teams will say, Hey, listen, uh, you know, we agreed to this. We, we came to terms and Hey, we're not going to announce it for a while. So just keep it under the hood a little bit and we'll announce it after the winter meetings or whatever, because you know, there, it's just not that I, I think that it's more of let's they're trying to concentrate on things uh, during the winter meetings and, and handle that stuff. Unless it's a big free agent sign. I think obviously it happens right away, but mine was a minor league uh, deal. So, I mean, that's that those are those things happen too. And when that happens, you know, then you go, okay, all right, this is I'm going to be a Baltimore in spring training and, and I don't have to follow it. But man, this is for a lot of guys, it's a really stressful time for a lot of guys. They don't really care, but man, this this could suck. This time could suck for a lot of people, especially free agents. Um, I feel like nowadays that are the middle tier kind of guys because the market is kind of shifted for those kind of guys. Either it's the it's the biggest free agents uh that that make hay but other than that not many really you know the last couple of years guys have been getting screwed on their deals so two things for that one i was referring to the uh the phillies deal not the orioles deal because i came in december but i think i do find it interesting because sometimes you like your memory continues to puzzle me like the things you do and don't remember that's why jp career trivia well, you has said, been hit or wait, miss wait 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 a second wait a second but you said 2015 yeah because you signed 20... in december of 2015 with the phillies going into the 2016 oh, season yeah because i'm yeah that's why i was thinking about it because 20 because i was like 2015 i was with the orioles in camp okay so yeah so the phillies regardless same story just different team <laughs> it, it all applies it's just funny like sometimes it's like you remember in a, at a, in a bat to the pitch, and then sometimes it's like, I don't know which team I signed with. Well, you should have said 16 season, not 15, because 15 is what threw me off. I was being precise, which I think is fair. But number two, because you know we can bicker about that all day, one of the points that you brought up that I think people at home don't realize as much is players see everything. It's not, necessar- it's not necessarily guys are scrolling through MLB trade rumors every day or Twitter. It's like... Like you said, it's often friends and family. Like friends and family play a huge role because the friends and family are doing that. They're looking on Twitter and then they hear about, oh shit, my boy might be signing with the Marlins. I just heard that. Then they send the text. So sometimes even if a player isn't really like looking to learn about these things or isn't looking to stress about it, it's sort of unavoidable because the people in their life kind of suck them in. Yeah, a lot of guys, they actually tell family and friends like, hey, do not bother me about what's going on and and they'll tell people because it's people don't realize that it's just a it's stress it's unwanted stress I mean you already are you know it's in the back of your mind listen everybody that says that they just don't think about it at all is kind of full of baloney I think if you're a competitor you think about it because you're like man did my team make an addition who's my team gonna add not that you're following it those thoughts are in the back of your head so then when you continue to get guys that just bombard you and, and you know, family members that bombard you, like, hey, you know, did you see this or this or that? It's just like, stop, man. Leave me alone. I have literally from February to hopefully October to be playing baseball and being every single day on a baseball field. This is the little time that I have to kind of get away from it. So please do not add to my, you know, already kind of, you know, stressful time because I, everyone knows as a player, everyone knows what happens in the winter meetings. You get traded, uh, you know, people sign free agents. I mean, think about this. Like, for example, one of my best friends, Jan Gomes just gets traded to the to Washington Nationals 
after Kurt Suzuki had just signed a free agent deal. So do you imagine free Kurt probably signed that deal, and then all of a sudden they see that somebody traded they, the, the Nationals, this team that he just signed with, traded for another catcher who obviously is going to be the starting catcher. You don't think that that guy got blown up by his friends, like, what the heck? this And it's like, dude, just stop. Like, leave me alone. And that happens a lot for players. Yeah, and I mean, in that case, it's something that tangibly happened. But at winter meetings, there's way more rumors than there are things that actually happen. And gotta be, i got to be careful about how I phrase this because some of this is off the record. But um, the Blue Jays before winter meetings were linked to two pitchers. And so yesterday, uh, we're talking to Ross Atkins in his suite a little bit off the record and someone brings up those players because he doesn't like to comment on guys kind of while it's going on. But he basically said about one of them, like, no, we weren't involved and we didn't really like him. We don't even really necessarily like him as much as other people do. So that's a rumor that went out there and there were pieces written about that rumor. And then, you know, from the horse's mouth later on, a team, I don't know where the rumor came from because the team was ne- clearly never really interested. Well, here's, okay, so now this is, we can get into this topic because this is actually pretty cool and this is what people don't know, is a lot of rumors are started by agents and agents of those players because what happens is, is you want to create a stir, okay, to be able to go, hey, such and such is interested in my, my play, uh, you know, client, such and such is interested in my client. Such and such. So all of a sudden, now... The, the perception is reality, MLB trade rumors, this team is linked to this team, this team is linked to that team. When those teams are not linked to them, but there is going to be somebody that's interested in that, that client, player, whatever, and all of a sudden they go, shoot, we can't wait around. Look, these other teams are on them. And that happens a ton in baseball because some of these writers that, ex- that AKA, that are the first to report, become good friends with agents. And all these things happen just like agents will feed those guys something because they'll say, hey, when you need to take care of me, I'm going to have you take care of me. But I'll take care of you and I'll give you, hey, this is this is the first, this is what I heard about or our player just signed with such and such so you can let it go first. And that positioning and like jockeying and all that stuff, it happens so much, which is where a lot of false rumors come from. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think on a very cynical side, there are probably some writers who report some quote-unquote rumors that they probably know in their heart of hearts there's not much to they know that an agent told them oh you know the a's are in on my client and you know if they were honest with themselves they'd probably say you know what the a's aren't going to sign this guy but no they they take that and they put out a tweet and that helps their brand and then that you know like you said it kind of starts the mlb trade rumors machine and starts people talking about it and then maybe that reaches the ear of some GM and they're in the same division. They're like, oh, the yeah. A's are going after this guy? Well, uh, maybe we should rethink uh, whether this guy could fit for us. Yeah, but even it has, for me, it's not even like, even if they know in the back of their mind, literally, there'll be agents that'll say, hey, let's take, let's take Nick, for example, because your name is Nick, but it's not involving you. An agent would say, hey, listen, I need you to get out there that uh, Troy Tulowitzki, if he was a free agent, let's say, Troy Tulowitzki is being contacted by St. Louis and Philadelphia. And it has who cares if you know if it's right or wrong? You're going to do it because most of the time if I'm the, if I'm communicating with you and you're my my plug, you're my you're my like guy that I go to, you're just going to put it out there because you know that we have the relationship when I need you to come and do something or when you need me, it's going to happen. And so that happens a lot and I mean 
Uh, I mean, it, it really does. I've, I've talked to agents about it, and that is a, a huge part of the strategy of being able to grow markets for certain players because if, if a guy that's a big free agency or, or a free agent uh, has one or maybe two teams involved, now all of a sudden you add six teams to the mix, those other two teams that really actually cared are going to start pushing a little bit harder for it. And, I mean, it's it, that happens a lot. I don't know if there's a way for me to ask this question that doesn't involve you throwing someone under the bus so you can bat it back if you want. But did you ever have that happen to you in the sense that you saw a rumor about you and you knew for a fact that um, that there was no interest there or that wasn't going to happen and you're like, I wonder who put this out there well i mean there were no there was rumors about me that i had seen uh that that i just you don't know where it came from i never was that kind of player uh into my career I, I don't think i was or not that i don't think i know i wasn't successful enough that it was like i because when i became a free agent it was already becoming like further down into my career where it was just kind of oh this team may or may not sign you to a major league deal and blah 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 so it wasn't like it for my um experience it wasn't that but i do know speaking through through different agents and different things and asking questions before is that does happen to guys and and it will happen and it happens quite a bit so and i think that's more for those guys that might be let's say a a bubble kind of guy of a a two-year guy or a one-year guy or whatever and he's you know he's probably going to get five plus million dollars and stuff like that and that's that's when a player or an agent can make their whole, you know, value go up because all of a sudden now that other team that wasn't in the mix gets the other team to make a to oh oh I got it hey okay let me call you back and hey you know that player I was talking about okay we'll reach the number that you wanted and all of a sudden business happens. Let's talk about some guys who are well past the fringes of that kind of shadow game. And I don't know if we're going to see them sign at these winter meetings. Right now, it doesn't look like it. And that's Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. And, I mean, we can speculate where we want them to go, where we think they might go. And there's been rumors about Machado in New York. There's been rumors about Harper in Chicago and Philly, all sorts of things. But what I'm interested in a little bit is just what these numbers end up being. And my question to you, because it looks like we're going to break records here. It looks like both of these guys are going to exceed... A-Rod's contract with the New York Yankees, Giancarlo Stanton's contract, depends how you want to weigh those in terms of average and uh, years and whatnot. It looks like those records are going to be broken, probably at least for Harper. Is this something that players really care about seeing in terms of that kind of, you know, tide rises all boats type of thing, the union perspective where people want to see players get a greater percentage of revenue? If you're an average player... Are you happy to see Bryce Harper exceed the biggest contract of all time, or is that something you could care less about? No, I think in the in the fraternity of of the union and the players, I think you're always excited to see the the what let me see the average salary go up because all of a sudden they sign those big deals that 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 affects the average salary per player and and they go up as as the salary goes up on on those kind of guys. So does the other players, especially if you can start pushing up your numbers. So I think that everyone's always excited about seeing those guys get those big contracts. The bad part about what's going on is those are the only guys that are really, really in the sense of making that that money and, and seeing those contracts for free agency that you can kind of put 
you can say like, all right, this is going to happen. But the mid-tier guys over the last couple of years have been getting the shaft and, and it's, and it's kind of sucked to see because now these guys that probably should get a three or four year deal are having to sign one year, 10 million, one year, this one year, that. And that's where there's a lot of question of collusion. What's going on with the, why are these free agents not getting the deals that they deserve? I mean, uh, for example, even CJ Crone, like that, that's, that was kind of, crappy the guy hits 30 home runs and he gets non-tender and it was nothing to do it was just just business they didn't want to they didn't want to pay the money and so I mean it's just there's a lot of things right now that are going on so yes they're excited to see those kind of guys uh get that money but the free agency is like literally it's so it's either you're either at the bottom pole uh totem pole of the free agency where you're going to get a you're going to get a deal because people don't want to spend money or you're at the complete top where it's going to get done because you're a superstar. But those those mid-tier players, man, that, that should get some money and, and should have you know multi-year deals, they're having to just kind of figure out what's going to happen because they're not getting jobs till late in the, into the offseason, early in the spring. I mean, you heard Anthopolis today. Uh, I, I don't know if it was today. I just heard it, actually. He was talking about they were going to wait to see if they if they got to the prices that they wanted for their free agents. And to me what that tells me is they're just they're going to wait until the price drops to that to that player. So that guy is probably worth a 3-year, let's say a 3-year player worth at an average of 9 million dollars. They're going to see if well maybe we can get him for 2 years at an average of 7. Uh and and everybody see if we can push the market down for those guys. So there's a huge discrepancy going on um, in the free agent market. It's interesting because that's where the Blue Jays have lived a little bit in recent years. You think about the Kendris Morales deal, you know, you can debate the wisdom of that, but, you know, that was kind of the three years and 10 plus million dollars a year. Jay Happ was in that area. Marco Estrada was in that area. These guys were guys in their 30s. And they were giving them, you know, multi-year deals at, you know, 10 plus million dollars a year. And like you said, if those guys were coming up now, I know Hap is a bit of a different circumstance because he's been very productive over that deal and has even improved his value and he's got a lot of interest. But again, maybe not even on a three-year deal. We'll see how that plays out. It may have already played out by the time this happens. But those guys would not get those deals. Like it's, it's short enough that even within the Ross Atkins... Mark Shapiro era of the Blue Jays, it feels like the whole climate has shifted because normally a team like the Blue Jays that maybe doesn't spend at the top of the like the Yankees or the Red Sox, that part of the market is where the where they would live. Yeah, I mean it's I mean just think about it. Donaldson just signed the one year deal, which is I mean obviously he had a down year and all that stuff. It's just no, he knew going into it like at the way that the the, the market is right now, I'm not gonna get a huge I'm not gonna get a deal. That's that's a long-term deal. So I have to sign a one-year deal. Jonathan Scope, he just had to sign a one-year deal because he's trying to bounce back because he's trying to get that multi-year deal. I mean, this is a guy who's a gold glover and an all-star. So there's there's a, a weird, weird kind of thing going on that you know no one obviously can put their finger on. And, and you know the union, I know, that's kind of talked about a little bit. There's collusion going on, but it can't be proven, all these different things. But... There's just a weird, it's a weird time. And I think you think about it now, the game has been so young and there's a lot of young guys being productive that, you know, what happens, why would you go out and sign a Donaldson for, you know, five years, whatever, however many million, when you have guys like Michael and Duhar coming up and hitting 300 pretty much 
with 27 homers and 90 something RBIs and he you're you're playing you're paying this guy the minimum so a lot of the game the game has shifted too where a lot of these guys are younger coming up being more productive so you kind of have to weigh your options like do I want to or is it is it going to be easier to just get a young guy who's going to produce and and that's the the difficulty that's going on now too. I think there's they're starting to go. I want to trade more. I want to do pick up more things by trades. A guy all of a sudden gets traded. Think about this too: is you're a, you're play, teams. This is what sucks too. Teams are going for it for one year. Boom, let's go and let's sign all these guys. They don't do good. What do they do? They trade guys, right? So now the free agents, they traded th- this team that went for it and just crapped the bed. They trade those dudes to teams that need uh, help at whatever position. They get those that trade. They pick up those players. Now the guys that are free agents have to just wear it because they're not going to be able to sign that deal because all the other team did was take the you know a shorter term of that deal that the other team signed before. So there's a again, I think there's there's got to be some kind of adjustments that can help to certain you know free agents right now. Yeah, in a general sense, I mean, you're a former player. For me, I'm you know I'm pro player. You know, I'll take the millionaires over the billionaires. I'll take the guys who are actually out there making it happen over the boardroom guys. But at the same time, if I ran a team, I understand why they're doing it the way they're doing it, and. You know, I it's a cutthroat business, and I would probably do it the same way because it seems like they can get away doing it that way right now. Of course. Well, why wouldn't you? I mean, I think it's smart business. At the end of the day, I, I heard uh, some kind of talk about, well, should they make a team have the you know a, a minimum that they have to spend? Right? There has to be there has to be a bottom you know platform to make teams more competitive because it was embarrassing. Like in the sense of there was a lot of teams that sucked last year. And it was not even close. And I think that's you have to make the league competitive. But if you now, if you open up that can of worms and you have a bottom, you know, that, that the minimum payroll that these guys have to hit, well, what do you think happens on the top side? The owners are going to want a cap on the top end of it, right? Like, so that's the tough part is, like you said, I 100% agree with you is if, if I'm any kind of business and I can get the best out of a, you know, my business for the least amount of money that I have to, to invest into it, of course you're going to do it. And I'm going to try to mix and match and do all these different things where I don't have to get stuck. But it's just, I think that just for fans and for players and stuff like that, there has to be a more competitive, a way to make it more competitive throughout the league. Because right now, I mean, it's like, okay, we have the top few and we have a lot of the bottom that we, you know, have no chance. And then maybe two or three teams that can surprise you. And it kind of makes it, not fun to watch. Yeah, I would like to see some kind of measure. And, you know, I'm not an expert in CBA type of negotiations, but I'd like to see some kind of measure that forced teams hand to invest a certain percentage of revenue in their payroll. Because it seems to me like there are a lot of teams that are just kind of cashing checks and putting a very cheap product out there. And sometimes those cheap products do surprisingly well, like the Tampa Bay Rays. But I think it's clear that there are a few teams out there that are they're sitting there treating it like a profit-only business as opposed to a baseball team that's trying to be competitive. In in the in the Players Association, we used to have our meetings. They used to give us all the reports, the annual reports from teams and how much they profited and all this. We used to see all these numbers. That was part of our CBA. And honestly, Nick, you would be surprised, and I think people out there would be surprised too, uh, that the teams that don't spend – I mean, not that they would be surprised maybe, but – 
the teams that don't spend are, are they make a ton of profit and they sit here and they tell people like, oh well, you know our our you know we are payroll, we can't afford the payroll. That's bull crap. Dude, these guys, I mean, we were as players, we're looking at the numbers, and that's why we're going like, dude, this is this is ridiculous. This is what they're claiming in the public, but we see these numbers, and so that's why you know you hear the players' association, you hear the players being able to you know asking like, hey, you know, we want more money or sitting out or this or that or however it may work. But that's stuff that's not privy to the public. But it, it it it's true, man. And it's kind of embarrassing to see. You look at the, you look at those numbers, and it looks like you look at the profits, and the and a lot of the teams that that are not good, that are lower part of the league, are the ones that are making the most money. And you sit there and you go. Then that's when you, as a player, and you're learning. You're like, man, this shit is such a business. It is insane. Like you already know it's a business, but then it kind of smacks you in the face and goes, yeah, this is a freaking business, dude. This is this is. Nothing to do with the players. It has all the money. It's all about making money for the team. All right. Our finisher, as usual, is going to be JP Crew Trivia. This is interesting because he fell below 500 in the last episode. I had to go back and listen to it. My records uh, has been criticized at times, but I went back, listened to the final episode. Got, well, you're, you're at 27 for 55. This, Why are we bringing... The season's over. How are you going to make me... You, you no, can't I'm just, giving you a chance to get back to 500 in like... I don't know. I guess we're in season 1.5 of the show. I don't know. Special episode. No, winter ball. Win- winter ball. So I can, go into, yeah, ve- and I can go into next year with a good average. Yeah, just go crush it in Venezuela. Anyway, so we, we're going to try and get you back to 500. But I, this isn't an easy question, but I thought it was a bit of an interesting question because winter meetings is all about transactions and people moving around and i think that especially because people don't pay attention to the minor leagues uh for a lot of fans it get lo- it gets lost just how many teams a player would play for in their career and they're had they're like oh well they played for the blue jays and then they went one place else and they retired but really the average baseball player plays all over the place so i was going it's funny it's kind of uh you know, apropos to you not knowing between the Phillies and the Orioles, who I was talking about earlier, the question is how many pro baseball teams have you played for? I'm going to give you one clue just to make sure you get this one. So all minor league teams count, different minor league teams, fall league teams count, MLB teams count. How many professional baseball teams has JPR and CBA appeared on. All right, so I'm going to go uh, one by one, and I need you to keep the count, okay? Yep, got it. All right, so we went Auburn Double Days. Yep. Then I went Florida State League with the Dunedin Blue Jays. Yep. Then I went New Hampshire, New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Uh-huh. Then I went Fall League. Then Fe- I oh, went, you got to name it. Oh, the, the Phoenix Desert Dogs. Yep. Then I went Las Vegas 51s. Yep. Then I then I went back to the Las Vegas 51s. Then I went Toronto Blue Jays. Then from the Toronto Blue Jays, I went to the Texas Rangers. Then I went down from the Texas Rangers to Round Rock. Then I went back up to Toronto or uh, back up to Texas. So that still the, counts as the same team. Then the next off season, I signed with the Orioles. So I went to camp with the Orioles. I'm not counting this one for the purposes because it did not appear at the Orioles, but it will give you credit for remembering, even though the memory is apparently shaky. Well, all right. So I went Orioles, and then and then I uh, I asked for my release. Then I went to the Tampa Bay Rays. 
and then the Tampa Bay Rays, I went, so I was in Durham Bulls. So Durham Bulls, I went, I started off, then I went to Tampa. So I played with Tampa. Then the next off season, I signed with the Phillies, which we have already discussed. I went to Lehigh Iron, the Iron Pigs, Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. Asked for my release there, got released, went to back to Durham Bulls. And then after that season, I said, my brain is completely exhausted from the hamster in there, just running around nonstop, and I am going to be calling it a quits. That is a correct account. So again, I think that came, it comes back to one. I think a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are Blue Jays fans who would be like, oh, well, JP played for the Blue Jays, and then he kind of went somewhere else, and he retired. And for them, it would be like two or three teams in their head. And we're talking about 11 different baseball teams. And then also just, you know, point to you that uh, your memory coming in handy, getting you back to 500 isn't as bad as it appeared earlier in the episode. Warning, objects are closer than they appear. Well, my brain is a little bit better than it might appear to you, Nick. To other people, I think they understand that I'm I'm pretty, uh, you know, good about memory. I guess to you, it seems like I do not have a good memory. But it's all right. We all have our strengths and we all have our weaknesses. To be fair, I have asked some pretty difficult questions over the course of the the regular season and now in the winter ball. I wonder if I had not told you about Fall League, if you would have brought it up. But, uh, you know, well, I did. I thought it was a fair hint. And I was going to I was going to ask you as soon as you said teams, I was going to ask you is the Fall League count? Because I think that was because that's the only offseason like thing that I ever played in because when I tried to play winter ball the Blue Jays did not let me yeah so you've you've got pretty much an Edwin Jackson number of teams just across different leagues I wonder how many teams Edwin Jackson has played for that number is probably insane no one no one's as as, uh above average in teams played as Octavio Dotel though because I think he played in like I think I don't know it's got to be I think it was like 17 plus teams or something that was something crazy yeah if you want and this these are big league teams if you want to travel around the united states and i suppose canada as well become a major league reliever you'll get to live all over the place in north america yeah but that's pretty tough to do so i would say i would say (laughs) yeah there are uh, other jobs too you could you know be a flight attendant as well there there are other options yes that that the reliever major league reliever that stays around and bounces around that much i'm sure are few and far between so maybe want to look at a different profession i mean just saying the percentage wise and ment- mentality wise i think your mental uh, uh uh what do you call this prowess will be very uh, fatigued after uh, all the uh, ups and downs of a career all right that does it for us in this winter league winter league well i guess it was winter league for us yes, and for ter- winter league winter league winter meetings special season 1.5 of dig again with jp here in Sevilla. Thanks for tuning in and, uh, you know, do all the things we always tell you to do. Subscribe, rate. We're on Spotify now. I know that's big. Everyone loves you. Spotify, that's my go-to. Yeah. Sayonara, suckers. See ya. See ya.